Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. It's Roscoe here, your host, and thank you, as always, for tuning in. It is a very, very special episode that we have this week. It is the story of a man from the United States. It is the one and only Bob McCoy. If you don't know the name Bob McCoy, you probably should, and you may have heard it, but Bob McCoy is probably one of the most passionate and well-traveled golfers that you will ever meet. And I had the pleasure of spending a couple of hours with Bob uh, some time ago, so it's been a while in the creation of this episode, to discuss his wonderful trip that took place in the start of April 1997 and commenced over 100 days. Yes, it was the trip that was 100 days long to take in 100 courses of the top 100 list at that time. Yes, amazing as it sounds now, but yes, Bob undertook the journey 100 days to play the world's top 100 golf.com list at that time over 100 days. So this story is the backstory of uh, how that trip unfolded and took place and Bob recounts some of his experiences on the way. I just find it amazing uh, anyone that can undertake these uh, feats based around golf. It fascinates me and when Bob was introduced to me by my good friend John Cornish who was a, you know, also a top 100 golf guy, uh, we just had to sit and record the story and uh, get to know Bob and this podcast is Bob's recount of that some many years later and uh you can check Bob out on his wonderful website. You will love plying through uh, his itineraries and uh, all of the top 100 lists that he's completed over many years. He is a centurion of note. It was a pre- pleasure and a privilege to be able to sit down and talk to Bob and even more so for him to allow me to bring this story, this interview to you. Enjoy the story of the 100-day trip, Bob McCoy's top 100 in 100 days, and uh, enjoy. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on the My Love of Golf podcast. John, how are you? I'll come to you first. John, how are you? Very well, thanks, Ross. Good, thank you. It's great to see you. And Bob, sitting over there, in what part of uh, the USA are you sitting in now? I'm in, the, uh, I'm in the, the state of Maine, which is the uh, northeast uh, tip of uh, the United States. Uh, we're north of, uh, I mean, I'm north of Toronto right now, if you look, uh, if you look west. So uh, we're right on the Atlantic Ocean, well, Bob- and uh, that's our summer home, and then we winter in uh, Naples, Florida. So we get the best of both worlds. Bob, thanks very much for for joining us, and I'm really looking forward to learning a lot more about your story. But but first, we'll go to John. John, you, know, you were kind enough to uh, introduce us today and uh, and bring Bob onto the podcast, and I appreciate both of you for doing that. And you've known Bob for a number of years now, and so I might get you to you know share your story with how you met Bob, and uh, you know some of those little insights that uh, from your perspective and and and. Lead us down the journey of why we're sitting here today. Um, thanks, Ross. Um, yeah, Bob is uh, one of my great golfing friends that I've uh, that I've met around uh, you know, in, in, in my travels uh, playing golf around the world. I first came across Bob in two thousand and two when um, no two thousand I beg your pardon when I was researching for a for a trip to Ireland. And back in those days, I came across a website that uh, that was controlled by Bob, and he um, where he would um, give an account of all of his golf travels. Now he's um, as you'll as you'll learn in the next little while, he's one of the great international golf travelers 
out there. He 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 had a he had a website that had a that had a searchable database. This is in the so 2000. It's a very rudimentary type um, type website, and um, but it was searchable, so you could go and search on a particular course and and uh, you could search on month and year and 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 uh, that would take you to what bob was um bob's account of what he was doing travel wise um, at that time so i reached out to bob uh, to ask him some questions about a place that i was playing in ireland and um, all of a sudden i uh, received an email back and that started a nice uh, email friendship where as i was reading i i learned that bob was a member of um of a few uh, very nice places in the US and also and also the UK. He's a um, a member of the of the RNA. And when I went to live in Scotland in 2002, and remembering that Bob was a member of the RNA, and me playing my golf in St Andrews at the time, I thought that's a good opportunity to meet. So um, each year, uh, Bob and I would have a would have a game of golf. Um, on a Sunday, normally on a new course, and we would uh, we'd walk around and, and we got to know each other over um, over the next six or seven years. Bob was good enough to invite me and a couple of my friends uh, to come and play some golf in the US in 2007, and that was my first introduction to the really great golf in um, in, uh, in in the United States. Um, went to a couple of his clubs on the East Coast and had a had a um, just an amazing experience playing some golf that. Um, that I, I certainly never thought that I would ever have the opportunity to, um, to, to do. But as I was reading and as I got to know Bob, um, the story that I think everyone's going to listen to and enjoy over the next little while grabbed me and grabs just about everybody as one of the most remarkable golfing stories, um, certainly that, I, the, that I've ever heard. And I certainly hope that everybody gets, gets um, the same level of enjoyment out of it um, as, I, as I have. So Bob was one of the first uh, first people to complete the world uh, top 100 courses. So he completed, I think, his first one in in perhaps the early 90s. Um, I, I, um, Bob, will, Bob will help us help us with those dates. 1988. Um, 19, been, um, 1988. There you go. 1988. There you go. So um, he's been. He was heavily active in Golf Magazine and Golf Digest's uh, ranking panels going back to, I think, 1984. He, that gave him the opportunity to travel and, uh, and give his, his view on, um, on, 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 on his golf experiences. John, I was going to ask, is it when you, sorry to interrupt, when you met and started playing at uh, St Andrews in that first time, first time we paired against each other? Um, I think the first time we, we, we may have been, there's a, there's a match um, each year called the town match, which has been going for probably more than a hundred years now, Bob, I, I would think. And the, the R and A would, um, would, uh, the, the R and A would field a team against the other clubs in the town. And, um, I think, uh, it may have been that the first time we ever played together, we, we were on, on opposing, opposing sides and, um, uh, it's a, it's a foursomes match, so most of the matches are on the old course. There are some spills spilled over to the uh, to the new and, and even some of the other courses. But um, it may have been that that the first time that we played golf together was the first time that we that we uh, that we met, and that was in a town match. Do you remember who won that day? <clears throat> I do. Well, the, the town usually wins, but uh, more recently the uh, the RNA has been making a a comeback. Ah, so it's not uh, it's not competitive at all. Oh, good. Uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> So sorry, I, I I interrupted you there, John. Yeah, no, that's okay. So so um, yeah, learning learning some of Bob's background. Yeah, he was born in in Buffalo, New York, he, and he spent 
time living in um, in the suburbs of Boston and uh, and and also in New Jersey. And he was throughout his his education. He uh, he was educated at um, at Harvard. Um, went to Harvard Business School. Had a had a successful career on Wall Street and also in the um, in the power industry, where he um, he he was an expert in. Um, in I guess analyzing the the electrical and, and nuclear um, energy companies and, um, and 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 the output of those companies and uh, had a had a, a great career at that. Then in uh, 1997 he embarked on the journey that we're going to hear about today, <clears throat> so, and uh, certainly he's been enormously influential on on my uh, international travel. Um, he was the second person that I phoned after I completed my World 100 last year. Um, such was um, such was the regard that I that I hold for Bob and and uh, and the encouragement that he's given me over the years. Um, so he's a wonderful man and a and a great friend. Um, and I hope um, everybody gets as much out of this story as um, as certainly as I have over the years. Bob, when you hear you know your friend John sitting down there in Melbourne introduce you like that, and uh, you know you get a sense of how much he's looked up to and how influential more so that you've been over his journey to achieve his 100 uh, top 100 um, course completion how, do, how does that make you feel makes me feel great and it's uh, it comes really uh, in 1985 uh, I was traveling uh, playing the top uh, trying to play the top 100 courses and I, th- I what, what would happen is I go to a club and uh, meet two or three uh, members and we'd play 18 and we'd sit around and have a beer or two and they'd ask me where, where I've been and where am I was going. And so um, then, and well, I'd tell them and then uh, I'd write them uh, the, the secretary of thank you letter and that would be end, the end of that relationship. So I thought, gee, why don't I start a newsletter uh, uh, just a uh, to stay in touch with these people each each year. So uh, I, in 1985, I started something called The Odyssey, The Golf Odyssey, and sent it out uh, to about 100 people. And, uh, and it, uh, it exploded, uh, and almost 1,000 people uh, started getting these things in the 1990s. And I did it as a way of giving back to thank people and to uh, let them know uh, how everything was progressing. And... Uh, John uh, stumbled on it uh, thanks to the internet, and uh, so it really, it, it, our experience has been fantastic uh, over the years. He's been a great friend. We've been through uh, a lot together, and uh, so it it just makes it uh, all worthwhile from my standpoint in terms of uh, uh, developing this uh, this golf letter. Uh, it's called thegolfodyssey.net. If uh, you, you can just uh, Google that and uh, and get it. And um, so I'm really, uh, it, it, John's a good example of, uh, of uh, people enjoying what I've, uh, what I've been doing yeah, well, um, over, over the years. Well, I would encourage anyone that has uh, interest in golf travel that the, the golfodyssey.net should be, you know, one of the first points of call, if not the first point of call. Yeah, you know, if you want to look at itineraries, if you want to look at different parts of the world and the courses that, you know, guys like yourselves, John and, and yourself, Bob, that, you know, that travel to experience top 100 courses around the world, you know, that is a absolute um, database of, of everything that you've achieved. And it's a, it's a fantastic website and, and the very simple to use. We were talking about it before and uh, the way that you've documented everything and how open you've been with documenting and, and letting that be very accessible, obviously, to, to anyone is um, 
is a wonderful credit and a wonderful legacy that uh, that um, you know the golf uh, world has from your wonderful travels. Now, one of the significant, or not one of the significant uh, achievement in there in your um, in your golf travels is this top 100 in 100 days journey. And when John Cornish sitting there introduced me to that concept, I did not believe it, but I, I was absolutely flummoxed as, you know, as a traveler myself, um, how that could possibly be achieved. And then once I started to peel back the layers and realized that, you know, in the time that it, when you achieved it, it was even in my mind became a a more unbelievable achievement. I thought, well, we've got to, we've got to uh, talk about this and I've got to hear it firsthand. And as, as you said, John was kind enough to introduce us and here we are talking about it. So you can, you can start at the start of that and, uh, and take us through all of the key points, but you know, just to, just to recap a hundred in a hundred days, top 100 in a hundred days. What, what, what sort of, uh, how did that come about? Well, well, just as a transition uh, to your uh, previous guest, Mel Hughes, and you're talking about, uh, is this doable or not? Um, two years ago, uh, a group of us got together that had played the, the top 100, uh, and this fella came up to me and he said, well, it's nice to see you again, Bob. And I said, uh-oh, because I didn't recognize him. He said, hi, my name is Mel Hughes, and uh, uh, I met you at Ganton when you were playing the uh, the World 100. And, of course, I, I didn't remember. And he said, well, he was there that day trying to play for the first the top 100 uh, for the first time. And the secretary said to him, well, there's another Yank here, uh, but he's doing it uh, in a hundred days. And Mel said, no, no way. He says, I got a PhD in aeronautical engineering and there's no way that this guy could be doing this. So he waited around and uh, we, he introduced us. So we had a, a, a brief chat, but uh, in any event, uh, so uh, Mel, I, we, we, I call us the, the Ganton Tusum. Um, Mel's a great guy, and he did a great job in your uh, in your podcast. But anyways, and you stay, um, but you stay in touch with Mel. You've you've stayed at you, and he's oh uh, absolutely oh I, I mean uh, you know at least twice a month, three times a month. Uh, he was at my house here in Maine last uh, summer for three days. He's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And he's got so much uh, in his background, and he's a tremendous golfer. Uh, people don't realize what a when he was a he he picked education and work over golf. Uh, he was a contemporary of people like Lanny Watkins, and played as good as Lanny Watkins. If, if that puts you in the right frame of mind. So this trip uh, really evolved uh, out of thin air. Or the idea evolved out of thin air in 1988. I was uh, playing, finishing playing the World 100 for the first time. I was in Japan, uh, Indonesia, South Africa. And so in Japan, I was being interviewed by a um, golf magazine. And one of the questions was right out of the blue, uh, as we were wrapping up, he says to me, well, what are you going to do for an encore? And I'm thinking, well, just leave me alone. I want to enjoy fruits of my labor on this trip to, to finish the 100 for the first time. And it, I don't know where the idea came from, but to answer the question, uh, I said, uh, well, I'll do them 100 days. And so he writes it down and puts it in the article. And he said, well, McCoy, the next thing he's going to do is play it in 100 days. And that was 1988. So I started looking at the list and I realized that uh, actually 100 and 100 was doable because there's so many of the courses were close together so you could do double headers so you could allow for 
days of uh, travel. One of those areas is clearly is a sandbelt area in uh, in, uh, in Melbourne. There were uh, four four courses at the, at the time, and you could knock those off in two days. I decided not to do it, but anyway. So you had the, that combination uh, around the world, so you could do the double headers. And then I had the contacts uh, to do it because of the Odyssey. I'd stayed in touch with most of the courses, most of the key people at these courses. So I had the contacts. And and then I decided, well, why not doing it, do it? And I had the time and I had the money uh, to do it. And um, in the middle of 1996, I decided to do it uh, and do it for 1997 because I knew it was going to take a lot of planning. And this was before the Internet and basically before cell phones. Uh, so uh, I wrote, you know, the old-fashioned writing to uh, uh, the 100 of the clubs, about 80 of them I had contacts with, and then the other, I used my uh, golf magazine rating uh, credential. And so I was able to uh, put together a, a schedule. Um, I, I got three magnetic planning boards, and put, got a, a, each course, I had 100 magnets, and moved the magnets around, and I came up with my ideal schedule. And then uh, I wrote to uh, these people and I said, I know you don't have your 97 schedule yet, but here we are in mid 96. Could you look at your 96 schedule and so estimate what might be happening in 97? So I got some you know, res- responses. I got positive responses. Yes, we can do it. And here's it. But you might want to think about this date as opposed to that date. So then I got in touch with, so I came up with a final temporary or final preliminary itinerary. And then one of my great friends is uh, Gordon Dalgleish, Perry Golf. Perry Golf is a great travel agent for the uh, UK and now around the world, golf travel agent. So I sent him the schedule and we looked at the airlines, uh, the airline schedules to see how it would dovetail. And so we, we picked some flights that would make the thing go. And then of course, uh, as we get, came closer to, uh, to liftoff, uh, certain things popped up to, to uh, made the schedule change even more. And then during the trip, the schedule had to change even more because of things like Ladies' Day shotguns. Um, so uh, it was a moving target uh, right up until uh, until the end. So I decided to, um, I had a business, but the business was seasonal. And I could write to my customers and say, okay, uh, the, the, the season ended in uh, mid-April, and so I could write to them and say the office is closed for 100 days, and uh, the, the, I didn't get any uh, uh, pushback. In fact, uh, when I got home, I ended up with a couple of new customers. So in any event, um, I des- we decided to uh, lift off in uh, late April uh, because we had to do Seminole before Mother's Day, which is early May, and Augusta closes in mid-May, so those were a couple of uh, uh, key key dates. Um, so I, um, in, in, at the start of the trip, I said, okay, uh, here's uh, three ground rules that uh, that I'm going to follow. You have to start from your official residence the first day, which was Naples, Florida. You had to fly commercially and you had to walk all 1,800 holes. And of course, that became an issue at a couple of the, of the places. But uh, I essentially uh, did it. It turned out I, 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 uh, Played 105 rounds uh, in a, in 100 days. I probably could have done it. Uh, it the trip went so well, uh, health-wise, transportation-wise, weather-wise, that I could have done it in less than 100 days. But I decided 100 and 100 had a magical ring to it, as opposed to 199. So I, uh, 
uh, strung it out a little bit. You gave yourself a uh, day breather. Okay. I, I, I did write to, uh, afterwards, write to Guinness and say, uh, here's a world record you might want to think about. And they, they wrote me back this snotty English letter, you know, their English company, English letters, snotty letter, and just saying, well, no, we're not interested. We only uh, deal with records that can be broken. And I'm thinking, well, this is a record that can be broken. You do it in 99 or 98 or 97 days. But I didn't, the letter was so snotty, I just said, forget about it. <laughs> so, uh, Anyways, do you want to ask uh, any questions about the uh, the schedule before we get we get into it? Well, you know, so the the three magnetic boards are sitting there, and you've got the uh, the little pl- uh, plastic magnetized pins popping around. How you know how much of that did it have to change? You know, so we had a few challenges with some days and some scheduling because we're a year in advance. You know, we're writing. I get, I, I'm guessing that there was no email wasn't the thing, as we said. Uh, no, no, no. Telex and letters. It was uh, uh, ma- a regular, regular, regular mail snail and then the fax machine. So, People forget about that. The fax machine was the mode of uh, communication in the mid-'90s. Uh, so the, uh, there was absolutely no internet. So for the, the internet uh, uh, planning and uh, a trip like in today's environment with the internet would made, made things uh, fantastically easier from that standpoint. So for the listeners that are uh, John and my's age above, you know, you'll understand what a fax is. For the guys, a lot of the guys below, you know, there's a bit of research. You can go and, you can go and work out what a fax is and, uh, and, and you know, appreciate what we do have now, And which makes me appreciate even more, you know, this story. So the, the scheduling had to change a little bit. You took off from, from the U.S. and then you got on that first plane across the waters. Where was venture number one, destination number one? Outside the United States? Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, you had to think about the weather in various places, uh, and we're starting in um, at the end of April. So I, I did the southern part of the United States, Mexico, ended up in San Francisco, which was a great liftoff point to uh, Japan, then New Zealand, Australia, uh, South Africa, and then up to uh, the UK, and then over to the continent and then back to the United States so I could do the northern part of the United States and Canada when the weather was uh, better. One of the benefits of doing it, uh, the non-U.S. in um, basically in, in May and June was that I avoided a lot of uh, big member, member guests are a big deal in the U.S., uh, in, in, particularly in the June period, and so I missed all of that. Uh, uh, and I didn't no, I was doing it until I did it. Uh, it wasn't part of my thinking in terms of the schedule. But in terms of talking about the schedule, I would, I'd bet anybody that didn't know what my itinerary uh, was, I would bet them a million dollars or more that they would never, ever guess the actual schedule. I will give you, I give people the, the list of the courses and I'd say you uh, for a million dollars, you you guess the uh, the day that I was going to play each of these courses, and you would never do it because if you look at the schedule, uh, I'm in Naples, Florida. Now, where would I be going the the first uh, the first day? Well, I was at, scheduled to go to the Dominican to to go to Miami, fly to the Dominican Republic, play Casa de Campo, come back to the United States, then play the whole southeastern part of uh, the United States. Well, three weeks before the trip started, my contact at Colonial in Fort Worth, Texas, 
was um, uh, he made a mistake. He wasn't diligent enough, and he gets in touch with me, and he says, oh, my God, Colonial has a hard and fast rule. You can't, no guests play three weeks before the Colonial Invitational. Well, I was uh, going to be there like 10 days before the Colonial Invitational, so clearly I was uh, was knocked out. So what what I did when I wanted, once I set the schedule, and then if something like this popped up, I made a rule myself that I'm going to move as few courses as possible around to accommodate this one change. So um, that was the way I was operating. So then I said, well, I'm committed to a hundred and a hundred, but I'm not, you know, it's not hard and fast as to the start day and the finish day. So uh, right off the bat, nobody would ever guess the first day was colonial in Fort Worth. And then there was a, Another, uh, uh, a month before uh, liftoff, uh, again, my contact at Royal Troon wasn't diligent enough. And <clears throat> I found out uh, a month before that they were having the open. They had real problems with guest play at the previous, uh, uh, before the previous open. So they changed the guest rules and tightened things up. And so I was uh, punched out. Uh, playing Troon when I had, had scheduled it and had made it firm and everything. So uh, I had some open day schedules. So flying out of South Africa, I went from Durban, South Africa to Troon. And then I got the ferry to Ireland and I did all of Ireland the way I'd scheduled it. And then I came back to Scotland, excuse me, and did all of Scotland the way I scheduled it. So you could never, no, nobody would ever uh, guess, uh, guess that, 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 that part of it. So some of the the iconic moments of playing a hundred top one hundred in a hundred days. If 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 we had to capture some of those iconic moments, what would be the top handful of those that you could well, recall? Well, I've got two uh, two. I mean, every day was great. I yeah. mean, I never got tired. I never uh, my my body never gave out. I, every day I was getting up and I was playing a great course with some usually with some great people, and uh, so. Every, every day was special, but there were two that really stand out. One was planned and one was unplanned. Uh, the first uh, planned great day was the Monterey Peninsula in May, Pebble Beach in the morning, Cypress Point in the afternoon, beautiful weather at Pebble in the morning. Uh, we were the uh, uh, we were the first out, so we had the course to ourselves. Pebbles, uh, one of my, it's, it's, it actually, Pine Valley is my favorite course, and then Pebble Beach would be my second favorite course. I just think it's so uh, spectacular. So, anyways, and we had lunch at uh, at Pebble, um, uh, looking out over the 18th hole in the uh, Monterey Bay, and then we go over to Cypress in the afternoon. You know, same weather, beautiful weather, course to ourselves, uh, great afternoon, and then. Uh, uh, Cypress Point permits non-member play two foursomes in the morning, but you can only go into the locker room and the pro shop. You can't go into the clubhouse and you can't go out into the uh, the dining room and all those facilities. But we were with a member, and so we were able to, uh, after we played at 5 o'clock in the afternoon with the sun sort of setting and uh, beautiful sunlight and uh, sitting on the patio uh, at the bar, uh, with drink in hand and just seeing the, looking over the golf course and hearing the sea lions and the, the birds and the deer and uh, just just 
spectacular day uh, to remember. So that was uh, one of the, the highlights. The second highlight was not planned, and it was uh, we played Port Rush in the morning. Nice day, uh, great course. Had the uh, big noon meal, uh, sort of fussed around there. We had a three o'clock ferry from uh, or four o'clock ferry from uh, uh, Belfast to uh, Stranraer, which is uh, uh, Scotland and south of Turnberry. So we get to uh, Stranraer about five o'clock and driving up north to Turnberry, and it's a beautiful night. And now it's mid-June, and uh, the sun's out, and uh, we know it's going to get dark at you know, 10 o'clock, 10.30. And we had a tough day the next day. We were playing Turnberry in the morning and Muirfield in the afternoon. And so um, I, I was with a friend of mine at the time, and I said, you know, I think we could play tonight. So we go into the pro shop. Pro shop says, fine, no problem. So we go out, we have the course to ourselves, the sun is setting, you got the evening shadows, you got the birds chirping, and then, you know, Turnberry's got this great setup because the hotel sits up on the top of a hill, and you're sort of down by the water, and it's just a, a spectacular setting. So we're out on the course, and this idyllic uh, environment, and then the bag, bagpiper starts, uh, you know, they, he walks around the hotel on the outside playing the bagpipe. So we were serenaded by the uh, bagpipe. So then we go in uh, and it's about 9.30 and uh, they said, uh, well, the dining room's closed. We'll give you room service. But by the way, the US Open is on the telly. So uh, we spent the next two hours watching the final uh, few holes of the US Open at Congressional, where uh, Ernie Els won with uh, Montgomery in pursuit. And uh, so that was a uh, uh, two of the really special, special days. So my, my question is then, so we got to, so you said that the difficult day was going to be potentially the following day, Turnberry in the morning, Muirfield in the afternoon. Now, I know that drive because I've, I've, I've driven it, you know, and it's not far, but it's not an easy drive, and uh, it's it's a full day. So, how did you feel then the other part of the day um, before going to Muirfield, or did you just bring Muirfield well, forward? We had a, well, we were supposed to play at seven a.m. Uh, Monday morning, so we weren't going to get the breakfast or anything else. So we uh, lounged, you know, Turnberry, the, the hotel and the restaurant is terrific because it looks out. It's great big bay windows in the in the restaurant in the uh, dining room, and you have this obviously big Scottish uh, full breakfast and um, you uh, and the, the, the sun was out Monday morning and you're out and you're looking out over the, 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 the golf the, the two golf courses and the lighthouse and Ilsa Craig and out to uh, the Isle of Aaron I think anyways um, so we just sort of lounged around in the morning and then just took a leisurely drive over to uh, Muirfield and we got there early and uh, my host was a guy named Archie Baird who was famous for, he had this great golf club museum at yeah. Gillen. So he took us uh, to lunch at Gillen. Uh, I was able to show, so he was able to show my friend his museum, which was great. And then we went out and played uh, Muirfield with, uh, with Archie. And then I uh, treated he and Archie and his wife to dinner at uh, Greywalls that night. So it was a, so we, uh, to answer the question about what do we do Monday morning with some open hours, we just uh, sort of uh, sat back and relaxed a little bit. Well, it's, the whole thing was a military maneuver. Yeah, I mean, you had to be, you couldn't miss one thing. You couldn't obviously you couldn't miss a flight. You couldn't miss a tea time. So it was, you couldn't really stop and smell the roses. You, uh, 
really had to put you the pedal to the metal. Well, it makes me, uh, it warms my heart to know that uh, one of those favourite moments in Unplanned was in one of my, yeah, my parental, my second home and uh, at my two of my favourite places, uh, Gullen and uh, East Lothian. Probably, uh, it's no secret to my listeners that it's probably my favourite uh, cherished golf destination when I do go to Scotland and Ayrshire is, a, is another destination which I haven't explored enough and you can see it on the background here if I move my head, you know, I've, I actually got uh, Trin in the background there, so let's... Um, Let's talk about Australia. So you, you've been to Japan and then come down to Australia. So what was your experience in achieving some of the... Well, it was a neat thing coming out of Japan. I talked about the, the, the flights and the flights dovetailing. So I'm playing uh, Hirono, uh, which is in Kobe, which is near Osaka. And I really didn't want to go back track to Tokyo and fly from Tokyo down under. So I... Uh, Fortunately, from the Osaka, the new Kansai airport, Air New Zealand had a uh, every other day nonstop uh, Osaka to Auckland. So that you know, dovetailed nicely. So we did uh, uh, Parapara Umo uh, in New Zealand and then back to uh, Wellington and then flew to Sydney. And the funny story in the Wellington uh, airport <clears throat> was this is the old days, the old airline tickets where you had, there was sort of a cardboard type because I had a round-the-world ticket. The, uh, it was about three, uh, it was quite thick. And so the area agent in Wellington, he looks at this thing and he thumbs through it and he says, uh, Mr. McCoy, where aren't you going? <laughs> and, um, I said, well, we're going to 14 different, we're doing 14 different countries here in any event. Uh, the Australian part of the thing was uh, was uh, terrific. We, I flew from um, uh, from Wellington to Sydney, I had uh, some really good friends in uh, in Australia. I had these two tremendous guys, tremendous characters from uh, Newcastle Golf Club. Uh, I'd gone in 1990. I'd gone up to uh, Newcastle and made friends with uh, um, a fellow named Ian Gross and Michael Cooper. Michael was a uh, golf course architect. Uh, he teamed with Cal Nagel to uh, design courses. And they were just they're, they're great friends. So they said uh, uh, they'd come down from um, uh, Newcastle and meet me at the Sydney airport. And we'd go out to dinner. And uh, then they'd play with me at, uh, at New South Wales. So that was uh, a real, real treat because they, they're just two uh, neat guys, great sense of humor, and uh, bring you down to earth. And uh, actually, Ian, as we were driving from the airport, he saw a driving range. He said, well, let's stop and hit a, hit about five buckets for you to, to keep you in shape. Of course, I just, I didn't want to see any, any, any driving rings at all. Anyways. So we did New South Wales. Uh, that worked out fine. Uh, they actually had a competition. We played in a competition. I don't like doing that, but we played in a competition and I did well in the stable. I was on the leaderboard for the, the stable for on the TV and the Stableford uh, Club event, and then flew to uh, Melbourne, and um, I was told the, the, the perfect place to stay in the Sandbelt is the Victoria Golf Club, and that turned out to be just fantastic. Uh, it was the old facilities. I understand things have been quite modernized since I did it in 1997. Uh, in 97, they didn't have any, you know, you just had a bed, obviously no internet, no TV, even, no even no even radio, no telephone even, uh, had a Telephone law. Anyways, but the uh, the service was great. The food was just spectacular, and it was just a perfect place. And the first day after I played golf, I 
wandered into Cheltenham and found a laundromat. So as you can understand, uh, laundry was a, uh, a key issue in this trip because I, I packed four, 14 days worth of uh, clothes, golf shirts and uh, socks and underwear, but uh, I needed laundry along the way. And I found the perfect laundromat where uh, they would do it. They would pay them, they, they, they'd do it and they'd fold it and iron it. And I came back the next day and there wasn't a big uh, package. So we did um, Kingston Heath, Royal Melbourne, Victoria and Commonwealth. The, uh, those were the four courses in the Melbourne area on the top 100 at that time. Uh, then uh, from uh, Melbourne, I went and played Royal Adelaide. And then from Royal Adelaide, I went to uh, South Africa. And I get you, one of the things uh, people would be interested in is how has this list changed over the years? This was a, the 1995 list that was, um, I played it in 1997 before the 97 list came out. So I was playing, playing the current top 100 at the time. And um, it's interesting, uh, there, there's been 38 sub additions and therefore 38 subtractions from that 95 list to the current day. And if, you, if I came back to uh, Australia to do this again, I would never do it again. But uh, if I did, um, Royal Adelaide, Commonwealth, and Victoria are out. Ellerston, Barnboogle Dunes, Barnboogle Lost Farms, and Cape Wickham are in. Mm -hmm. um, so it would make uh, the travel in uh, Australia, a little bit more of a challenge uh, and not centered so much in the sand belt, but uh, certainly, uh, certainly doable. The guys in the Hunter, um, the, the guys in the Hunter Valley could still look after you there. Yes. That's, that's uh, <laughs> when you say Newcastle, the guys from Newcastle, that's my neck of the woods. That's where I grew up uh, in and around that area. So that's, uh, I'm very familiar with. Uh, uh, they, uh, well, those guys, they came actually uh, after I saw them in 1990 and uh, had a good time with them up there, uh, they, well, Mike Cooper uh, was a member of uh, Pine Valley. So uh, he had a, uh, a trip for about uh, a dozen of his Newcastle, he and his Newcastle buddies, and they came and they played my home course, Baldur's Roll. I hosted them there, and then I was with them down at, uh, at Pine Valley. Um, so I really got to know these guys, uh, quite the whole group of them. One of the uh, well, two interesting days in, uh, in Melbourne um, at uh, uh, Kingston Heath, one of my playing companions was Graham Grant, the superintendent. And I'd gotten, I'd met Graham in uh, 1986, the first time I'd been to, to Australia and then been to, uh, to Melbourne. And uh, we'd, we'd become uh, good friends, corresponding friends. And so while we were playing Kingston Heath, he said to me, uh, you know, I'm a, a consultant at uh, the Capital Club. And I said, well, what's the Capital Club? And he said, well, it's uh, basically next door and it's part of the Crown Casino and it's the Shadow Creek of uh, Australia. And I said to him, uh, we we're playing in the morning and I had an open afternoon. So I said, any chance we could play the uh, Capital Club that afternoon? And it's sort of it was super secret, it's sort of under the radar. And uh, so he said, well, I'll make some calls. So he calls me at two o'clock sort of secretively, and he says, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick you up. We've got a tea time at 3, at 2.30. Got dark at 5.30. So um, we went over there, and we played uh, 18 holes at the Capitol Club, and I I almost made a hole in one there. It was on the lip of one of the par threes, just hanging on the lip, not going in. 
So I said to the general manager, what would happen if I got a hole in one? And he said, well, the, the, the uh, sirens would have gone off in the casino and you would have won a million dollars Australian. <laughs> I don't think they would have paid, but the, anyways, uh, it's a, a nice thought. So anyways, the next day we're at uh, Royal Melbourne and uh, we thought we made arrangements to play the composite. And the secretary says to me, well, here's the card for the West course, uh, go at it. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, uh, I'm playing, I got to play the courses that are officially on the top 100 list. Um, uh, it's got to be the composite. And the guy says, well, it's ladies day and they're on the East course. <laughs> so you got to play the West. <laughs> so we went back and forth for about 10 minutes. And then he said, uh, okay. And I don't know how he did it, and I can't describe. I don't know if we played the composite in the official order. As you know, that it's confusing. Mm. At least for outsiders, it's confusing as to where you are on the east and the west relative to on the, the composite. But in any event, we got it done, composite course. So within uh, less than 24 hours, I, I did two things in Melbourne that you know, you basically can't do is play the composite course, play the capital club uh, and not, not being a gambler and play the capital club and then play the composite with Royal Melbourne. So I, I, I think that was a, a feather in my cap or two feathers in my cap. It's certainly on the bucket list of many of the golfing people that I know. And uh, so, yeah, there were two big ticks uh, there. Fortunately for me, I've played both. John, have you played uh, the capital and the composite? I've played the composite course. I haven't played capital. Okay. There's not too many courses that I've played that uh, that you haven't, but there's one. Huh? There you go. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to work harder. <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe one day. What about Adelaide, Bob? What did you think of Royal Adelaide? Well, these are obviously, you know, you're talking about the top 100 courses in the world. And uh, that's, uh, as I said, that's 1995. And it certainly deserved to be on the list at that point. The, the, the thing is that there have been, you know, there's, I mean, the example would be what's going on in, in, in Australia, where, uh, you know, you get an unlimited budget on, uh, on some good land, uh, and you get an Elliston, and then you get, uh, you know, interesting, uh, you go to Tasmania, and you get uh, interesting uh, terrain, and you get Barnbogle Dunes and, and uh, Lost Farms, and then you go to uh, Cape Wickham, uh, where they have uh, you know a beautiful site, a lot of wind, but a beautiful site. And so uh, there's only 100 spots on the top 100 list, and if new ones come on, other ones have to drop off, uh, sadly, for uh, people like Royal Adelaide. So um, that's, uh, you know, in the United States, uh, we've had... Um, and I can give you an example of, uh, you know, the different, uh, you know, we've had, uh, well, I, I actually, New Zealand, you know, Cape, uh, Cape you know, not on, on the list now that weren't on the list then, are like Cape, Cape Kidnappers, Terra Edie in the United States. You've got Sand Hills. You've got all of the uh, abandoned uh, stuff. You've got the Kiowa Island. You've got, Trump, uh, you've got Trump Aberdeen. Uh, controversial, but it is on the uh, on the World 100. So, um, sadly, some of the older courses uh, that are in position, you know, like 85 or 90, uh, they get uh, they get bumped off. So, if we continue on the journey, where where were your next destinations of choice? And you know, if you had to recount some of them in you know this story, where would you where would you take us to next? Where interesting course, interesting experience, interesting people. Well, it was a long flight from um, Adelaide to Perth, 
Johannesburg to Durban. And then uh, I had some great friends at the Durban Country Club. Uh, we played Durban in the morning, and then they took me to a real rugby batch in the afternoon. It's the first and only time I've seen uh, really r rugby in their big uh, stadium. Uh, must have been 30,000 people there, and uh, I enjoyed uh, uh, that that part of it. Let's see. Um, so I, um, uh, England, uh, the other... Uh, so I went, you know, so we did Ireland and then we did uh, back to Scotland and then down to England, ended up at um, Walden Heath and played Royal uh, St. George's uh, with, with some of my member friends. I was a member of Royal St. George's and we played with some of my member friends. Oh, the weather, uh, the, the uh, you know, the weather issue, uh, like in, in uh, we were, I was in the London area during Wimbledon and they canceled, it rained so heavily, it, it uh uh, they canceled Wimbledon for two of the days that I was playing golf. And uh, in the morning, uh, one of those days I was playing uh, 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 Sunningdale in the morning. Uh, well, that was interesting. So I show up at Sunningdale and uh, they've got two courses there, the old and the new, and they have a, a bulletin board, you know, one course, uh, you know, with something that slides that says open or close for the, uh, the uh, old course and the new course, and they got, I was supposed to play at eight o'clock and ten, five, uh, uh, fifteen minutes to eight. The guy comes up and he puts a slot in old course closed. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, what do you mean closed? I'm supposed to play. So I asked uh, the general manager. I said, what's going on? He said, well, we got a shotgun uh, going off uh, at the on the first. Uh, on the front side, uh, starting at uh, 9.15 or something like that. And I said, but I got to play uh, the old course and I got to play Wentworth this afternoon. And he said, well, uh, if you can go out there and get through uh, those holes before the shotgun comes out, uh, you're okay. So, I, you know, and I, I was uh, pulling a trolley and uh, I was out there humping it uh, to get through uh, before the shotgun came out. And then it started to rain and it wasn't too bad but I was soaking wet by the end of 18. I had a, my contact at Wentworth uh, was a member, homeowner, went, and, but we hadn't been in contact to, to meet during this trip, but I, I was sopping wet and I, you know, I'd left the one hotel and I didn't have, I was going down to rye, so I didn't have the next, so I, uh, and uh, so I, I called him up and he invited me over to his house. His wife put all my stuff in the, uh, in the dryer. We had lunch there. And he came out and played with me in the afternoon at Wentworth. But it was raining so hard, there was at least, you know, half an inch to three quarters of an inch of, of rain on each of the greens. And in the States, they would have uh, closed the course over in the UK. They don't do that. So we were chipping to the cups. We couldn't putt. Cut. You know, the, the cups were full with water. So we're, we're uh, and I'm just, you know, I was soaked in the morning. I'm playing 36. I'm just soaked in the afternoon. And we're pushing trolleys both morning and afternoon. And if you know Wentworth, there's a there's a hill coming out of the uh, from the 18th green, and then there's another hill get, to get up to the clubhouse. And at that point, the, the hill looks, hills look like the Himalayas, as far as I was concerned. And then I was I wanted to get in the car and go down go down to Rye because I had a another kerfuffle at, at Rye. But he and his wife wanted to have dinner at Wentworth, <laughs> and I couldn't say no. So I'm sitting there having this beautiful dinner. You know, food was an issue on this thing. A lot of the, half of the time, uh, dinner at Holiday Inns, a friend of mine said, well, you, 
you got to write two books on this. One is the top 100 courses, the 100 best courses in the world, and then 100 of the worst restaurants in the world. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I didn't get out of uh, uh, Wentworth until 10 o'clock at night, and it's pouring rain. And of course, this is before Google Maps, uh, you know, GPS and, and all that stuff. You know, it's all it's all hard copy uh, maps. And uh, I'm going sort of the back roads to uh, Rye and then getting into downtown. So I got to the hotel about one o'clock. And Rye, again, was a situation where it was they're having a member guest and the off, they're starting off the first and 10th tees starting at uh, uh, like eight o'clock or uh, eight thirty, something like that. So I had to uh, uh, tee off at seven o'clock uh, and get through the front nine uh, before the member guest started. And of course it was just pouring rain. And I had this uh, uh, member friend and I, I don't, and I didn't think he was going to show up, but just sure enough, he shows up. The rain's pouring down, and uh, so we went out and, uh, and and did it. And then the rain was supposed to continue, but it, it actually the skies, uh, uh, the rain stopped, and the sun came out, and we played Royal St. George's in the afternoon. A beautiful afternoon at St. George's, early evening. Uh, one of my great friends, Ian Finley, who was uh, head of Lloyd's of London, uh, had retired from that, and he was uh, head former captain of. Uh, Royal St. George is just a lovely man. And uh, so then um, I went, uh, flew to Faro to play uh, San Lorenzo. And I thought I was going to have an open afternoon and play San Lorenzo the next day. So I get to San Lorenzo and they say, well, we want to take you to our sister property, Panina. So we want you to uh, to show you Panina. Well, Panina is about, I guess, an hour, an hour and a half drive. So we, instead of having sitting around doing nothing on uh, Sunday afternoon. We were driving, we were playing 18 holes at Panina. <laughs> we're driving back. So then I uh, and then played San, San Lorenzo uh, uh, the next day. And then I was able to accelerate the schedule a little bit, play Valderrama a little bit early. So I got to El Soler in Valencia uh, and I was able to play that in the afternoon. So I had was able to get to France and Morfontaine a day early because uh, the weather had turned really nasty. And the, the afternoon I played San uh, Morfontaine, uh, it was poured and I was drenched. And there was nobody on the course, nobody there. And the people who were running the, uh, uh, the caddy shack, there weren't any caddies, but they're there. And they said, you're going to play in this? Are you going to play? You must be crazy. And they couldn't believe that I'd uh, that I actually played all 18 holes in, the, in that uh, terrible condition. When you, so, tell, uh, when you tell that story, all I can hear is the caddies in their French accent, you know, oh, you're going to play. <laughs> <laughs> if I play a course, if I'm raining a course, uh, the caddy wants to read the greens. I say, I really don't want you to read the greens. I'd like to be able to read the greens because it would give me a better feel for, uh, you know, the character and the contour of these uh, greens. I don't keep score. I really don't uh, care about that. Uh, on the trip, I guess it turned out I had a, Seven. I played at about sixty-five hundred yard tees. Uh, I didn't. Really, I didn't keep score, but at Black Diamond in Florida, it turned out I had a seventy-four. And the TPC Sawgrass, um, the weather was terrible. It was you know five and a half hour round, and I think I had about a ninety-five. That would be the the parameter of uh, of, the, of the scores, and I probably lost the equivalent of a of a ball a day or a hundred balls uh, throughout the trip. 
Bob, can we can we go back to Europe for a second? Just talk about Ireland. Um, another one of my personal favourite destinations. And you know, in a chat before uh, John joined us, you know, we talked a little bit about that in Ireland and, and Scotland. What what were the courses in the top one hundred in in Ireland at that time? Well, obviously, County Down and Port Rush. Yeah, uh, are the two in in in, uh, in in Northern Ireland, and then Ballybunion, Old Lahinch, Old and Port Marnock, uh, all uh, uh, great courses. And then today, obviously, uh, the two uh, the uh, the two courses in the uh, in North Northern Ireland, Port Rush and, and, and County Down. And then, uh, uh, well, the European dropped out for my Waterville. Waterville, yeah. Waterville would be the only uh, addition to the, to the current 2019, 2020 list. And of course, Ireland, uh, the, the courses in Ireland are, are, if you look at the UK and, and Ireland, and you say, well, what, what's your favorite spot? Well, the uh, Scotland would have, the courses would be somewhat better, but the, uh, from a playing characteristic standpoint, and the Irish courses would be uh, more beautiful, more pleasurable to uh, to play. And also, the, tra- the transportation system in Ireland has improved uh, dramatically. Uh, from uh, you know, the trip was '97, and now you go back now, and you got these uh, super highways where guys. Geez, I was with a guy, uh, I guess four years ago now, and I couldn't believe how. You know, I, I, I was in the in the suicide seat, the front seat. And his his wife was in the back seat, uh, and, and this guy was going 110 miles an hour. I thought, I thought, come on! And you couldn't in 1997. You couldn't do that in Ireland. Do you, do you allow yourself to have favourites, or do you just do you, like in Ireland? If you look at that, do you, do you walk away from Ireland and go, mm, my favourite was that course? Well, from a golf course standpoint, um, I think uh, I like Port Rush a little bit better. Then County Down, I think County Down, even though they've worked on it, has uh, a couple of weak holes. In the 1990s, it had a one just really bad hole in the in the backside, uh, where where County Down, uh, and now with the, with the changes for the Open, uh, I just thought I was pleasantly. And Port Rush has a lot of blind shots. I just I was uh, I mean County Down has a lot of blind shots, but Port Rush, I was just pleasantly surprised there. It's interesting. The first time I played Port Rush, I was told by the magazine, the editor of Golf Magazine, George Pepper, this is 1985, he said, we're thinking about taking it off the list because we hear the fifth hole is, is crumbling into the sea. So I went over there and uh, and it wasn't. They had a fun, they were, they were, they were uh, shoring it up, but it was definitely going to remain as the, uh, as the key hole. And so I came back and re- reported back to uh, the magazine that uh, no no problem, keep keep County down uh, or uh, Port Rush on the list, and uh, and they have, and it's moved up in the in the rankings. One of my great friends over in Ireland is Pat Ruddy, the European Club. Uh, he's one of my all time all time favorites. European Club got on the World 100 for a number of years, and they started in the early 90s, and just sadly just recently dropped off. Uh, I think it's a combination of uh, the sleepers that he's got in his bunkers, uh, all of the bunkers, and uh, a little controversy about the the, uh, the water hole on 18 in front of the green, uh, and the heavy rough, I think, brutally heavy rough there, I think throws some uh, some visitors off. Uh, but, you know, I'd go back, I mean, I've been, I, yeah, I think I've been to Ireland at least five trips and, you know, I'd go go back there every year. If, uh, in fact, I, I want to go back because I want to play Hogshead. 
I'd like to do Port Rush again. I'd like to go to uh, Rasapena. Tom mm-hmm. Doak's doing a, a, a new course uh, there. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of new, uh, uh, new, new stuff or redone stuff. Uh, one of my hidden gems in Ireland is Dukes. Mm-hmm. I thought Dukes, uh, except for the, you know, the second, uh, the, uh, second hole through the 17th hole, uh, I think Dukes is uh, just a terrific, magnificent course. And that's really, uh, you know, we're always asked about hidden gems, and that would be my hidden gem in, uh, in, in Ireland. In subsequent trips, have you played uh, uh, Port New? No, so I tell people I played a lot of courses, but there's still a lot of courses to play. Yeah, well, that's the good. That's a, that's the the good thing. So I guess I'm conscious of your of your time. We've been talking for an hour now, and oh no, that's all right. Just keep going. We've covered from states. We've gone up to Japan, down through New Zealand, Australia, across to South Africa, and then up through to Europe. And we've touched on some great and interesting stories through there. I guess at this point, are we getting towards the end of this 100 yeah. days? Well, we got the northern part of the United States and Canada, and um, a couple of interesting things there. One, so one of the trivia questions that nobody would ever be able to answer is I could say, okay, here's the list, the top 100. What course was the hardest one to arrange to play? And you look at this list, and the obvious answer to it is Augusta National, but fortunately I had that lockdown. But for, for mortal people, it would be Augusta National. But you would never guess Beth Page Black, public course. And what happened was, uh, so in my planning in 1996, I put Beth Page in um, after um, uh, the 4th of July holiday, uh, like July the 10th, let's say. And uh, I just penciled it and figured I had no problem. But then I, you know, Reese Jones was redoing the, the course for the 80, the 1982 Open, 81 or 82 Open. Anyways, so I got in touch with him and I said, can you give me a contact? So he gave me a guy in the parks department and I told him what I want to do. He said, well, we're going to be closed for a year then. I said, what are you t- for the open remodeling? And I said, what are you talking about? Five years away. And he said, well, the USGA wants us to uh, uh, have a, uh, give the public the opportunity to play a USGA condition golf course. So I said, oh, geez. So the guy said, well, I'll send you, I'll mail you a form so that we can, we can give you an official tee time. Because I said, well, I got to backtrack and I got to do it on uh, like July the second or third or something like that. But he never sent me the form, <laughs> and I kept calling, sending him, you know, faxes, calling, and never. So I had a friend who said he uh, played a lot at uh, Beth Page Black. So when I left the United States, I still didn't know that I had a, a tea time at Beth Page Black. So when I came back to the United States, my first call was to my friend Arnold Langer, and I said, Have "We got a tea time." He said, "Yes." So it was Saturday morning, so I go out there, and um, Arnold says, uh, well, I got us a couple of caddies. And I said, uh, well, why did we do that? He said, well, it was, it was hot. It was in the 90s, so I thought we needed a couple of caddies, uh, but it was going to be a nice day like in the 80s. So these two guys show up, and we said uh, how much it was going to be, and they said $90 a bag or something like that. Now, this is 1997 when, you know, caddy fees were not what they are today, for sure, and uh, – so I said to him, $90, $90 a bag, That we don't want to do that. Uh, we'd rather walk, push our, our trolley, and uh, so we said no. So uh, the halfway house at uh, Beth Page is like uh, behind the seventh green. So we're playing the seventh hole, and this great big guy, looked like a you know football lineman, comes down, lump, 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 and he comes on the green, and he says, uh, uh, each of you guys owes me 20 bucks. 
And so we said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, I was the guy that got the caddies and uh, you owe me 20 bucks a piece. Well, that's why the caddy fee was so high because they, the caddies had to pay this guy the 20 bucks. We said, so I'm thinking, Jesus, uh, you know, I don't want to do this, but we got to play all 18 holes at Beth Page back because this guy's going to kick us off. So we paid him the 20 bucks each. And so I wrote about it in the, um, in the Odyssey. I wrote the story. And it got back to the Beth Page Black people, the, the parks people. The, the head of it said, this is nonsense. This never happened. The guy's lying. He can never play Beth Page Black again. <laughs> I, said, well, I got three witnesses. But I didn't want to argue with them, and I've never been back. But anyways, that, that was... Uh, you exposed the, the great you exposed the great caddy racketeer of Beth Page Black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another interesting part of the trip was uh, I had my car, yeah, I drove my car around the southeast part of the United States, and I had a friend, and I was in Springfield, New Jersey, Summit, New Jersey, it was my home to, uh, base in the north, and a friend of mine said that he'd be willing to fly to Atlanta and drive the car back because I was going to fly fly west and then around the the world and then come back to uh, Springfield. And uh, so he did this. Oh, at Atlanta, Atlanta airport, it was a transfer. He got the car and I got the airplane and off uh, we went. So then I drove my car in the north, northern part of the United States, ending up in Chicago. So how am I going to get my car from Chicago back to New Jersey? So I, uh, one of my good friends is a member of Chicago golf club, uh, Bill Sheehan, and I, so I called Bill and I said, you know, is there, you think we could hire one of your caddies to uh, drive the car back to New Jersey? You know, I'd pay him and then I'd fly him, pay him, fly him back. And damned if we did, he, they, he went to the caddy master and they talked to the caddies and there was a caddy there that was going to Villanova in Philadelphia. And uh, he was interested in uh, spending some time in the summer at, in Philadelphia at Villanova. And so he caddied for me in the morning, drove me to the O'Hare airport, I flew to Minneapolis to play Inverness. He drove the car to New Jersey. So when I came back and I opened up the garage door, there was the car. So, <laughs> you know, things, uh, the whole trip just dovetailed. And I, and I say, I never got sick. I, I, one flight was two hours late from Las Vegas to San Jose. That was the only schedule kerfuffle. Wow. Health-wise, the only time I was at all slightly incapacitated it was in san francisco and we had a double header olympic in the morning san francisco in the afternoon and at night i was by myself in a restaurant and ordered dinner and ordered the soup soup came and i got a sinus head headache a vicious debilitating sinus head like i my my, my head almost hit the soup and i uh, said to the waiter i'm awfully sorry i i i can't i, I gotta go i can't finish the meal. Uh, so I went back and had a good night's sleep. And uh, the next day was an open day. And I don't know if my body knew that it was going to be an open day, no golf. I don't know if psychologically, subconsciously, who knows. But that was the only time where uh, I was at all uh, not 100% physically in good shape. And of course, the luggage, knock on wood, no lost luggage, uh, no lost clubs. Uh, you know, it just went Went like clockwork. I think you should have wrote to the Guinness Book of Records and asked them about you know <laughs> that many trips and not losing luggage because that's probably a record right there. <laughs> Bob, you know, so the closing courses in the trip, you know, you you you're getting to the last five, six, seven, ten courses. You're probably, I, I guess, on the east coast by now. What 
what were those what was that group of closing courses like and how are you starting to feel knowing that you're getting towards the end of this wonderful achievement well again um the schedule changed uh because i started a day early so i finished a day early so uh and i'm a member of baldas roll so i could slap baldas roll in anytime i wanted to so that i wanted baldas roll to be the last day and then i was going to make a you know sort of a big deal out of it uh but i couldn't and also actually that brings up another point publicity uh golf Golf Magazine and Sports Illustrated wanted to do articles before the trip, during the trip, and after the trip. And luckily, I realized I shouldn't do that. I should wait till the end of the trip. I actually thought about having a, a contest uh, to rate for charity, uh, guess the itinerary. But then I realized that everybody knew what the courses were, and people would call Augusta National and say, well, when is Bob McCoy going to play Augusta National? And about a, about the fifth call, <laughs> Augusta National uh, answer would have been, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I, I waited until after the, uh, the trip was over uh, before we had, had a nice article on Sports Illustrated, uh, a pretty good article on Golf Magazine, good article on the some newspapers in New Jersey. I was on Fox Sports TV uh, a little bit. But anyways, um, so the last day, oh, okay. So one of the kerfuffles during the trip was Ladies' Day shotguns. Uh, you can play around Ladies' Day, uh, you know, if they're like an uh, interlocking in Minnesota. Ladies' Day, they're starting in the first tee, so we were able to start in the 10th tee and then come around to the first tee. But Ladies' Day shotguns, it's uh, you got to either play, get there before or after. So um, uh, in Detroit, uh, Crystal Downs, during the trip, they got in touch with me. They said, well, you're supposed to play Monday afternoon. I'm sorry, you're supposed to play Tuesday morning, but it's Ladies Day shotgun. So you has to come earlier or later. Well, I knew Crystal Downs is at the very western end of the eastern time zone. Uh, so it gets dark. Uh, at 9.15, 9.30. So I'm playing Oakland Hills in the morning, Monday morning. Uh, usually the course is closed, but we got on. Pouring rain. The last three holes, my three the guy, the three guys I was playing with, they raced to the clubhouse. I said to the caddy, we got to finish these holes. So there's thunder and lightning. It was like Caddyshack. I don't know if you remember the lightning scene in Caddyshack, but that, that's what we had at Oakland Hills. <laughs> lightning. So... Um, we get in there, I'm absolutely drenched, you know, take a shower, change, drive three hours to get to Crystal Downs and tee off at uh, five o'clock. And so I was able to play around uh, Ladies Day Shotgun. And then uh, the same thing was Medina was the same. Anyways, so I get to Pine Valley uh, at day 98 and I'm out on the range uh, the night before and the, the dictator at the time was Ernie Ransom, crusty guy had you know one-liner uh, humorous sarcastic one-liners so he says to me uh, well how's it going and my standard line uh i didn't want to jinx myself saying great i just said so far so good but i said we're gonna have we i've had one problem he said what's that and i said ladies day shotgun and he immediately said well you won't be, have that problem here you know ladies can only play on sunday afternoon and that line got into the pine valley history book so the last day was marion 100 played on monday again the course is closed but uh, good friends and um so we finished uh, at marion and um i finished there with uh, two, playing with two two good friends and then my daughter well, younger daughter jane who is in washington dc 
unexpectedly showed up uh, in the 18th green, uh, which was nice. And she, one of the regrets on this trip was I didn't take a camera. I didn't have room and nor the time during the round after to take pictures. And I just wish today, you know, you have the, uh, the, the iPhone, you know, that takes great pictures and you just whip it out of your pocket and you go click, 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 and you don't bother anybody and you could take. And so one of the regrets of this trip is there's a lot of verbiage, but no pictures. And so I do have a picture of uh, being on the 18th green and I'm holding this lucky rock a stone or a little, you know, uh, not a rock. It's, uh, you know, it looks like a diamond or something that, that size. Um, that my older daughter sent sent me that she got out of a uh, famous uh, wish me luck type uh, stream, big big stream out in uh, in Utah, and it uh, was to wish me luck for the trip, and uh, I had it and uh, was conscious of it, and uh, anyways that uh, so uh, you know the end of the trip uh, had some nice. Uh, family connotations so you had your daughter there you had the lucky rock that so i'm assuming that the, <laughs> the lucky rock traveled with you the whole journey the 100 days right. and 100 courses and that, i was still standing and i could have people say well how'd you feel uh, i actually the adrenaline was going uh, i could have kept going i don't know how many more courses i could have played but i know i could have uh, and that kept kept that schedule going for uh, for a while the day after finishing that hundred and hundred so you mentioned something before about uh you know maybe the body knew that it was time to have a rest on that rest day and you you know that day that you didn't feel off but then post that final day what happened after that well as i said i was i i, I was running on adrenaline but then i uh, you know i was worn out but st- stupidly the next so it ended on monday and the next saturday uh i went down to uh Pine Valley and played in the senior member guest. What a stupid, you know, and the weather was hot and humid. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I returned a no card because uh, it just definitely ran out of gas. I really didn't play a, a, a lot of uh, golf. And then I had, then I had to start thinking, I mean, I was committed to write, you know, I'm writing this yearly odyssey in the 1997, I got to write the odyssey on the top 100 courses. So I had to figure out how, what sort of format was I going to use and what I did was, uh, and I've got uh, the 1997 Odyssey is like 67 pages uh, because I've got a little, you know, paragraph or two or three about each of the each of the days and each of the rounds uh, that, that I played. And that was uh, writing that uh, was uh, was a challenge. And then I uh, probably I photocopy. You know, still doing the photocopy machine. That I probably sent out a thousand of the odysseys 67 pages paid for all the postage and, and all of that so that's when the, when the internet came in it relieved me of uh, a lot of printing and a lot of postage expense yeah it's on the it's online just go there perfect yeah well i must say i must say ross you know that this is 23 years ago and in my travels i still refer back to bob's oh. back to bob's um document it's a fascinating read just the legit yeah, it, it, it's hard to fathom the logistics that and, and and the planning that was required to 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 go through this. It was it, it's quite amazing. It's it's still a, a document that's relevant today because you can you can um, you can almost almost feel yourself traveling the journey with Bob. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 well, that's the way I like like to write about it. But you bring up a good point, Johnny. I didn't do this for for publicity's sake. 
I did it as a challenge, as something interesting to do, revisit uh, new uh, old friends, make some new friends. And I never dreamed that we'd be here 23 years later, and it still has a life of its own. People still talk about it. I still get questions about it. You know, I've got it on the uh, on the internet. Nobody, to my knowledge, nobody has tried to do it, uh, duplicate it. I don't know, in today's environment, um, I think it's uh, still doable, certainly easier to organize, but nobody, uh, nobody's, nobody's done it, and uh, people still talk about it. It's hard enough to do any 100 list, let alone do it in um, in a bit over three months. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite a feat. Bob, as soon as I, you know, was introduced to, to you by John and the, and the concept and the story of what you've done, you know, I, I was absolutely blown away because, you know, my story about meeting John is, you know, we'd have these sporadic meetings and John would come in and say, well, I'm off to, <laughs> I'm off to Spain and I'm off to South Africa and I'm off to three countries in seven days. And I'd be sitting there scratching my head going, how do you, how do you do this? You know, and he would say, you know, you know, quickly dot point me through the trip, and I go, oh, well, fair enough. And and I thought that was you know amazing, an amazing feat in its own. You know, when I first met John, and I said before going back to that 2016, standing there at Turnbury, and that's when my sort of awakening about you know golf and golf travel and you know seeing golf courses in those beautiful. Um, end of the day lights and being fascinated by that so you know that's when about that time i met john and you know he fueled that fascination you know (laughs) that you can actually go and travel and and do these things in very short period of time and then he said oh i actually know bob and bob did 100 in 100 days this is a incredible very very incredible well i get uh people when i'm with strangers and i'm with a friend a friend and say well he did here's a guy that did the world 100 in 100 days and there's usually a pause and they're the the People are thinking, uh, and then they'd say, you mean the United States, don't you? And the guy would say, no, the, uh, the world. So, uh, But anyways, uh, there's about 50 people now that have done the, the, the world, at least one iteration of the World 100. And we've got a, a group called the Global Golf Centurions Club. And uh, we, we meet, try to meet every two years. The first meeting was a, a, a sensation. Uh, we're just great meeting all these different People like, in my case, uh, Mel Hughes was the one that stood out the most. We were supposed to do it uh, last uh, April in Los Angeles, but for obvious reasons that got uh, postponed, and it looks like we're going to do it again, uh, try to reinstate that uh, for this this company uh, coming April. And, but there's been and there's probably been ten additions to the list, and uh, we think there's going to be more. There's always a couple of courses. Johnny finally, you know, finally worked out to get uh, the big uh, yeah. Magilla, Augusta National, which is the toughest one in the world uh, to uh, to get, and he got it. And, and look, I was just lucky that I got in before um, before COVID. I can't imagine the pressure that I would have been under uh, with the uncertainty in the world at the moment. So, Bob, uh... just. Just before we sort of sign off, you know, you've seen every type of golf architecture that uh, exists in all of, all of the travels. You know, do you have any commentary about architecture and, and, you know, maybe the architects that you do like or is there something that stands out about golf architecture and, you know, that you have a preference for or you really like the work that a particular architect has done? Golf course architect is like any profession. There's a lot of people doing it, but there are only a few that are really good. That's true with the golden age of architects, and it's true uh, today. There's uh, uh, historically, uh, I mean, Alistair McKenzie 
uh, is my favorite uh, by a, a good mark, um, especially his green complexes and the uh, proliferation of courses that he did. In the States, he did it, well, he always did it. Uh, well, his good courses have been in conjunction with other, other people. And I played, it's called a Meadow Club. It's uh, north of San Francisco, and mm -hmm. I played it. Uh, it was a read. It was a McKenzie. And it was redone by a fellow named DeVries, De Mike DeVries, and it was since. I mean, it was a true hidden gem. And then, in reading about the history of it, uh, McKenzie and Hunter, the whole crew that did the uh, uh, the Meadow Club, uh, they they lifted themselves up and went down to the Monterey Peninsula and did Cypress Point. So they sort of trained at the Meadow Club and went down and did uh, did Cypress. So uh, McKenzie would be uh, one cult would be another. Uh, today, right now, the guy I would hire particularly for what's really popular today or busy, particularly in the United States, is uh, renovation and restoration. And the best at that is uh, Bill Hans. Uh, does a, just a super job. He did, you know, LA, LA North. He's doing uh, Baldur's Roll right now. He did Marion, Sleepy Hollow. Uh, he would be my, uh, and he does uh, good uh, uh, original courses uh, also um, on the original side, uh, Court Crenshaw, uh, Tom Doak would probably be uh, at, at, at the top of my list. And if I had to ask you to pinpoint one course, if you, if you had a favorite out of any of the courses you've played, would you, would you be able to identify one course that you say, you know what, if I had to go back there and play that course forever again, I ha I have my own course. That's why I asked this. I have my course, and I'll I'm here to tell you what it was, um, what it is. But would you have one of those? Well, I, obviously, I get that as a question, uh, and there's uh, actually it's um, for one uh, for one round. If there's one, one uh, if I was going to die tomorrow, which one would I want to be playing today? Uh, my last course it would be Pebble Beach. I mean, I think it's just, the land is so spectacular. The design is spectacular. The non-ocean holes are really good. The 14th hole of par five is one of the best par fives in the world. And, uh, and actually at Pebble, you can walk backwards on the non-ocean holes and, and, and really get great ocean views. So it's got some of the smallest greens. I mean, tactically, strategically, it's, it's a, a challenging course. And it's just a, a beautiful one of the few courses where my heart is a lot of shots where my heart actually the heart rate went up you just you look at this shot and you say wow what have i got to do to uh, to execute uh, this shot if for every day play for uh, overall enjoyment it would be cypress point because it's such a lovely setting and it, the problem there is if you were a member it would be hard to get a game because there's not, not a whole lot of play uh, but though that would be uh, you know pine valley probably you know I think the best course in the world, when you look at all of the ways you, you, you judge golf courses, uh, Pine Valley would be clearly the best, uh, is the best course in the world day in and uh, day out. But you wouldn't want a steady diet of it. Even Ernie Ransom said he didn't want a steady diet of, uh, of Pine Valley. You needed uh, some relief going uh, someplace else. Pine Valley, you could, you know, one day you could, shoot reasonably well, and the next day you get your teeth kicked in. So it's, uh, I think, uh, that that would be so. Pe Pebble Pebble would be my uh, uh, my favorite course. What about you, number fifty? I'm sorry, jo uh, John. What would you What would you choose? Oh, oh, oh. ah, um, last ever course. Um, perhaps the old course at Sunningdale. 
I've I've had some great experiences at Sunnydale, and I think it's a I think it's a fantastic golf course. Um, it's wide enough for me. I'm not going to lose too many golf balls there. It's unless you go right right to the back. It's not overly not overly long. I think there's plenty of challenge. You know, when you've got those tall pine trees that, that line the fairway as well, it's it's just it's beautiful. And then you know, the times I've been there, it hasn't been overly busy. Um, so you get this um, you get this sense of isolation on a lot of on a lot of holes as well. So it's um, yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty special place um, in the. Uh, John, Johnny, excuse me for interrupting, but you know that's cold, and cold had a big influence at Pine Valley. Yes, Pine, yeah. Pine Valley plays it. Uh, the, the Pine Valley management plays down the cold influence, but cold did uh, was very uh, influential in the in the Pine Valley design. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I certainly agree with Bob that Pine Valley is the is the best the best course in the world. I think that it's the best by by a good distance. Um, that's that's in my in my first three chosen uh, for Golf Magazine when I put my rankings in every couple of years. It's the, the worst hole there would be the best hole on most courses in the world. It's um, simply outstanding. I've uh, been lucky to, to be there be there twice and play the course three times. And um, yeah, that's a, that's an outstanding spot. Could I just add to that Pine Valley is probably the greatest golf experience to go there for, uh, I used to, I was, I was a member there for a long time and I would, you know, when, when, when John came, uh, we'd show up on Monday, we'd play the short course, we'd have dinner, we'd play the big course, play the, on Tuesday, play the short course, have dinner, sleep over Wednesday, play the big course and leave. And that package is, uh, there's no better golf package in the world. And, and surprisingly laid back as well for the, you know, the course has been ranked number one in the world for 40 odd years. Incredibly welcoming when you, you know, when you enter those, enter those, those gates and um, you know, as an outsider, you're treated very well. You're obviously there with you're there with a member, so you know you're 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 treated in the same way that the that um that the that the member is treated as well. It's um it's it's a great place to be. Bob, just on on my list, you know, you mentioned a couple of courses there that, and one in particular that's always intrigued me. I've never been there, but uh, when I do get the chance to travel again and, and go to that part of uh, the US. Uh, the Meadow Club is certainly one for me that I want to go and see. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of pictures around there, and I think that that for me, I, I I'm drawn to that visual, so I want to go and tick that off. Pasta Tiempo is another one that I'd like to tick oh. to, to tick off, and obviously got well, some. Obviously, the uh, Pasta Tiempo is uh, is basically public. Yeah, there's the members there, and uh, I played the old Pasta Tiempo and the new Pasta Tiempo, meaning that Tom Doak and his sidekick uh, Jim Urbina. We're, we're talking about a few years ago now, did a, a major uh, restoration at uh, Pasa Tiempo. And they, when I first played it uh, before Doker Urbina, I was wondering what, what's all the excitement about? And uh, going back uh, after they had, they had done their magic uh, was just, the transformation was, was tremendous. And uh, it's uh, Mackenzie, uh, really Mackenzie at one one of his best courses, and as I say, it's you know you got you can get get on it as opposed to a Cypress Point or even a Meadow Club is private, so uh, you you need an introduction there also. 
But for me, probably no surprise that it's also had a McKenzie uh, influence. But if you had to take me and, and lead me somewhere today out of uh, where I'm sitting now, I'd probably end up in Lynch. That's where I'd probably end up. You know, the funny story there is uh, when I, I guess it was on this, uh, this 100-day trip and um, we played, you know, the old Lynch and the greens are flat and it's supposed to be McKenzie. So I said to the uh, secretary, uh, Reardon, I said, what's the deal here? Um, it's a McKenzie course, but the, uh, the greens are flat. And he said, after the Second World War, uh, the then captain was a terrible putter and he had all the greens flattened. <laughs> so uh, Byron Hawtrey, I think it's Hawtrey came back. Have I got that right? Yeah. And redid it and brought a lot of the McKenzie uh, characteristics uh, back to life. Yeah, I just, I just find that uh, a wonderful little part of the world and uh, the little town there and, and everything about it just uh, oh, has has that magnetism to me. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure how my wife, uh, my wife from Scotland, would want to go living down in uh, that part. But it's probably not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, you could take me to Edinburgh as well, Gullen. I think uh, I mentioned to you in the in the pre chat there that Gullen is uh, one of my other favourite destinations. And yeah, oh. somewhere down there in Aberlady or maybe North Berwick, maybe even Dunbar, I'd be happy. Uh, Happy with the little little plot just there, and that'd do me. There's all these all these great sections of these countries where there's a lot of golf. Gents, I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but uh, it's been wonderful learning about your journey, Bob. And I really do appreciate the time that you've been kind enough to give us, John. I appreciate you teeing this up and and being so um, accessible to to making you know your guests. I guess, and, and I and the listeners do really appreciate that. I know that the listeners of the My Love of Golf podcast love these stories. They were very, very appreciative of the time that Mel gave us, and I know they're going to love hearing your story too, Bob. And uh, so once again, I do really appreciate your time, and it's been fascinating to hear a story from yourself that most people these days wouldn't conceive of as possible, but it is, probably still is, and maybe someone else will do it. And I think that uh, if they do it on the back of listening to this episode, they're going straight to uh, thegolfodyssey.net and checking out all of your odysseys. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's always fun uh, talking about it. Well, I hope you enjoyed the story of Bob McCoy's Top 100 Courses in 100 Days. Amazing, amazing feat. I didn't want to stop uh, with just the interview and Bob has many, many uh, wonderful journal articles that he's written about the story, about the trip and what I've done and what I will do over a period of time is release some of his writing as audio. So for those of you that like listening to stories about golf courses and golf travel, I'm going to release some of Bob's notes and his itinerary and some of the notes around the trip as a podcast, which you can download at your listening pleasure and uh, continue to enjoy Bob's story. So, uh, yeah, Bob was more than happy for me to record that and uh, create some audio about uh, his trips. So I hope you enjoy that when they get released. To those that tune in and subscribe to the podcast, you'll see them pop up from time to time. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed Bob's story.